Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window. This is the podcast that not only takes you inside the biggest deals at the biggest clubs in world football, but brings you insight and analysis of the issues that matter every Monday, Wednesday and Friday. I'm Jory McFarlane and joining me are pundits extraordinaire, Duncan Castles and Ian McGarry. On today's Your Questions Answered Transfer Podcast, is Jadon Sancho destined for a return to England? And do Manchester City have any contractual sway as part of their summer deal with Dortmund? Twitter has been a swirl with rumour about a Saudi takeover of Manchester United. We separate fact from fiction. And amid Maurizio Sarri's problems at Chelsea, is player power a growing issue at the biggest clubs in the game? Okay, well, he's tearing up the Bundesliga, and we have a question from at Affirmation93 about Jaden Sancho and the potential for him returning to England. Duncan, what's the latest? I think there's great potential for Jaden Sancho to return to England. It's more a question of timing uh, rather than anything else. And obviously, who's going to be prepared to, to put the money down? Um, you know, Sancho's now established himself in the England team. He's, uh, he's a key member of the Dortmund side. He's scored seven Bundesliga goals, set up 11 in 22 appearances this season. Um, he's demonstrated his quality and uh, and he's at, I think importantly, he's at a club who, when they sign players like Jadon Sancho, it's with a clear vision that uh, you buy him for a certain price and then you sell him for significant profit down the line. That's Borussia Dortmund's business model. Um, has been for multiple years now, pick up individuals of great talent like Christian Pulisic, who's now on his way to Chelsea at a limited price, give them the opportunity to play as teenagers or young professionals, which they might not have had at other clubs, um, allow their market value to increase and then cash in um, two, three years down the line when the big offer comes, reinvest that in the team. That's the way Dortmund compete at the top level in Germany and compete in the Champions League. So Sancho is for sale. Um, question is whether he, he'll be allowed to move this summer. If you listen to Michael Zork, the Dortmund director of football, he says that, that Sancho will definitely play with Dortmund next year. I think there's a possibility if a big enough offer comes in that he will be sold this summer, but we're probably talking over 100 million euros um, as a minimum price. Um, I don't see that there's great pressure from Sancho's end to move this summer. I think he's been, he and the people advising him have been very happy with the way um, his career's developed at Dortmund, so they wouldn't see a difficulty with uh, staying that extra season there. But if 
for example, Manchester United, who um, clearly have had their eye on younger players, that the priority is to recruit younger players. They like players with star potential, commercial value. Um, they've had a, a shortfall on the right wing um, for a long period of time. It's an area where they've been looking to recruit. So you know, Sancho ticks all those boxes for Manchester United. If they were to come in with a very high offer, then that would tempt Dortmund and may also tempt Sancho and his advisors into saying this is our opportunity to go back to England. Now um, let's take it while it's there. I do think this is a hard sell, as weird as that may sound, um, for Manchester United to Jadon Sancho. Purely on the basis that he's he made a very big decision to leave um, English football only 18 months ago uh, and joined Dortmund. And in that time, has established himself as a first-team regular. Now, the reason he left was because he was getting no game time. And, and worse than that for him, there was no immediate potential for him to get significant game time. And he went to Dortmund on the basis of what, as Duncan has just explained, I, that they give young players, teenagers, the opportunity in the first team, allow them to develop their talents naturally, organically, um, with a view to obviously improving their team, but as uh, Rafael Honigstein ex- explained um, uh, three episodes ago in the transfer window, the way the, the financial model at Dortmund is to sell one player per per year, per summer transfer window, in order to um, boost their finances, but also recruit at lower levels. For, so that effectively what you're looking at is, um, you know, sell Christian Pulisic this, this summer to Chelsea, They've probably already got five candidates of who they think is the next Christian Pulisic. And they will buy one of them for under 20 million euros. Now, if you compare Jadon Sancho's appearances uh, and stats, uh, I won't go back over them because Duncan's already um, said, although I would also point out that he plays, he's played in six of Dortmund's Champions League games uh, with one goal and one assist, as well as the 22 appearances, seven goals, 11 assists in the Bundesliga. Phil Foden, 18. Uh, also a prodigy player etc etc at Manchester City has made a total of eight appearances in the Premier League this season for Manchester City and uh, in fact has made as many appearances in the FA and EFL Cup uh, as he has in the Premier League that's eight he has five goals in the Cup competitions but no goals and no assists albeit of course he's a central midfielder um, and not necessarily as attacking as as, as, um, Sancho is uh, Callum Hudson-Odoi, another player who we know is, is um, very much coveted by Bayern Munich. Four appearances in the Premier League, FA Cup 2, Europa League 5. So there's there's the hard sell. Uh, Jadon Sancho, yeah, we'll pay you better. Yeah, you'll get to come play in your country of birth, etc., etc. Um, but we can't guarantee you'll start every Premier League game because, quite frankly, um, you know that's not how we do it. Um, if Manchester United do that or say that to him, then fair enough. But um, I've never never yet known uh, a club to promise any 18-year-old that they'll play the majority of, of football matches um, when they're changing club, never mind country as well. So um, I guess a price tag of in excess of €100 million Euros necessitates the manager to use him. But again, if he has two or three bad games, then he's just as liable as anyone else to be dropped out of the squad. So... I take Duncan's point that um, finances and prestige may well 
um, combined to see him tempted to leave Dortmund this summer. But with a Bundesliga title, very pot- potentially, you know, almost getting there to be won, as it were. Champions League football again next season. If I were him, I would stay in the Bundesliga for another season, see how things pan out. And then a year from June, July, it could well be Real Madrid and Barcelona as well as Manchester United, Man City and whoever else who are interested in. And his options will be much greater. And uh, his financial um, potential for earning will also be much greater as well um, for having played another season in Germany. So... Uh, that's I. I just yeah. You know, I don't think it's a very a, a very straightforward transfer as as much as I think Manchester United may well um, believe that to be. And of course, you've got the question of Jesse Lingard, who's been playing in the right mid, uh, right wing position, uh, preferred by Sancho as well. Uh, another young Englishman who I think you've got to say has has developed throughout the last year year and a half. Uh, certainly, you know, is probably a first pick for England now as well. If, uh, the same as Sancho is. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think there are difficulties and complications in that one. Duncan, we've talked in the past about uh, Mo Salah and Kevin De Bruyne being a millstone around Jose Mourinho's neck and the way that the public perception is that he let those players go. Is this going to be the same with Pep Guardiola and Sancho? I think there's um, there's a lot of discontent amongst um, elements of the Manchester City support that they've lost Sancho um, and they've lost Brahim Diaz. Um, in almost successive transfer windows for limited fees. Um, and they see those players, and like particularly Sancho, um, and they wonder why Sancho wasn't given the opportunity and, and someone like Riyad Mahrez was signed instead. Um, and I think there's also frustration that Phil Foden's not getting as much playing time as, as he, well, let's say he moved to Dortmund, as he would get a at Dortmund, if he was at a Champions League club of, of that level. Um, I, I think it's it's tough for Guardiola in that um, <laughs> tough is maybe the wrong word to use because he's been blessed with the, the best set of attacking um, forwards, uh, wide players, um, players in the position that Sancho and Diaz play uh, that any manager's probably ever had in the Premier League. Uh, that's you know, Manchester City's squad is strong. It's particularly strong in those areas. And I, I, I know Guardiola was asked um, in his press conference uh, ahead of the Champions League game this week about uh, the players that uh, City have allowed to leave and whether uh, they should have been retained. And, and he, he came up with what was a pretty pragmatic answer, which is that not all the players around the world can play in Manchester City. The space is the space, so it is what it is. Um, and you can't really argue with him with that. And he's, you know, he's under pressure to win the Champions League. He's under pressure to win the Premier League each season. He's now under pressure to win quadruples. Um, whenever until until they get knocked out of a competition, he's getting that question almost in a press every press conference. Can you win the quadruple? Uh, he's fortunate enough to have Abu Dhabi's resources behind him. He's fortunate enough to have the wealthiest. You know the most expensive squad in the history of the game to work with, but you can understand why he asks for that because of the expectations placed on him, and there is the ownership has the potential to do it. Now, if you've got that squad of players, then you can't really do what Dortmund do and uh, and concentrate on developing youngsters and giving them lots of playing time. You can give them more playing time, 
I think he, he he's actually quite conservative in the amount of time he, he gives players like Foden. Quite often uses um, some of his key players uh, who have a lot of miles um, on the clock during the season and are asked to run a lot in games where you'd think he'd give them a rest. But essentially, he's doing what he thinks is best for uh, winning titles. And he did win the title last season. Um, he's in good position to win the title again this season. We'll see whether he can do it in the Champions League. Just just on Manchester City and Jadon Sancho, so it's worth clearing up a point that um, I think there's a kind of misunderstanding that when uh, City allowed Sancho to go to Dortmund, they got a, a buyback clause which was favourable in City's um, side and that they could get him for a set fee if they decided to to bring him back at a certain time. That, that has been disseminated. I think Manchester City were quite happy for that story um, to be left in the press because it made it look less embarrassing for them that they'd lost this player. Recently, um, Michael Zork, the director of football at Dortmund, uh, commented publicly on that. He made it clear that it wasn't a buyback clause. What he said is, uh, it's at most a matching right. Uh, that would have no significance for us at all, apart from having to talk with City if an offer came up. But that's very theoretical. So basically, what City got Put in the transfer deal was if you're if you uh, have an offer that you are considering accepting from another club, you have to present that offer to us to give us the opportunity to match it, which is very different from having the kind of buyback clauses that Barcelona have inserted in the deals of a number of the young players they um, sold, uh, particularly to the Premier League, where they could buy them back at set fixed prices in the future if they developed. One other thing to add on this one, Johnny, <clears throat> is that um, football coaches at the, at the level of Guardiola, Mourinho, etc., they're like any um, boss at the top of a multi-billion pound industry. The buck stops with them. If they don't succeed, they get fired. Therefore, they trust in their own methods and tried and tested players. Anyone who's watched Jadon Sancho play and be excited, and that's very understandable <clears throat> by the freedom with which he plays. He's prone to a little bit of showboating, nutmegging, etc., etc. He's got a fast pace, and it, you, he can dribble and beat players. Pep Guardiola hates that. He wants. He never wants to risk possession of the ball. The only person he ever trusted to do that was Leo Messi. <clears throat> Other than that, it's pass and move, pass and move. Sancho doesn't do that. Sancho dribbles. Sancho puts the ball at risk. Um, and the Manchester City fans who are, uh, you know, upset or, or discontent that they're missing out on the exciting talent, yeah, you could have him back at Manchester City, but he wouldn't play, not until he had established himself as someone who could fit into Guardiola's methodology, which I think is probably the reason why he left in the first place. So um, <clears throat> I think a, a new home in a, in a team like Manchester United under someone like Solskjaer uh, might be a better place for him but as I said I think another season at Dortmund I think would be his best his best option We've got a question here from at Swap PPPC Duncan, one horse sized Jurgen Klopp or ten duck sized Jurgen Klopps, who would you rather fight? <laughs> <laughs> 
Don't well, let it be said that we don't get the good, intelligent questions here at the Transfer Window podcast. Well, I'm a pacifist, so I, I don't want to have a, a physical fight with anyone. Um, but if I had to choose between uh, 10 ducks and, and one horse, I think I'd probably go for the, the, the 10 ducks rather than the, the horse, because the horse is going to be a good bit bigger than me and it might clippity-clop all over the top of me. <laughs> I suddenly got this image of um, Duncan surrounded by 10 ducks saying, not the face, not the face. <laughs> <laughs> OK, we've got a number of questions uh, from a number of listeners about the Saudi takeover potentially going to take place at Manchester United, certainly according to Twitterati rumour. Duncan, is there anything in this at all? Yeah, there is something in it. Um, there is an interest from Saudi Arabia and Manchester United. It's quite long-standing. It's part of uh, Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman's, uh, what he calls his 2030 vision, in which he's taking elements of what um, Qatar and uh, Abu Dhabi have done in terms of buying into uh, world sports, European sports, European football, uh, as, a, as a strategic to kind of stop soft power tool. Um, he sees the attraction of that. There have been discussions on the Saudi side about it. Um, I was told when this story first emerged earlier in the season, um, I was told that the Saudis had basically backed off after the, the killing of Jamal Khashoggi and the, the you know, rightfully extremely bad press they got around that. Um, I see the, the, uh, the story re-emerging at the weekend um, that um, the Saudi media minister has now um, made a statement saying that the, they don't have any intention um, to buy into Manchester United. I would, um, I would treat that with a, a large pinch of salt. Um, and I think if you want to see the value of Saudi Arabian media statements, you just got to look at the statements they made after Khashoggi's uh, murder in the, in the Saudi embassy and how rapidly those changed and how they contradicted each other. Um, the Glazers have spent quite a lot of time in Saudi Arabia over the last um, year or so. Um, I think there's definitely elements of that just simply involved in trying to uh, secure more sponsorship money. Um, there was a meeting with uh, another uh, a Saudi Minister of State in November um, with Avram Glazer, Richard Arnold attended. Um, they met uh, the, uh, his name is Mohammed Abu Sak at the time. There was quite a lot made of that in the press. I actually um, contacted um, someone who was involved in the meeting, was told that it, it had nothing to do with a takeover, that meeting. It was um, Abu Sak's son had been a representative of STC Telecom, um, who are a sponsor of Manchester United. And um, so the family had developed relations with uh, the Glazers through that sponsorship deal. And the visit um, was as a part of the, the, you know, the friendly relationship between the Glazers and the family. It's one that had happened before. However, it's, this is definitely something to pay attention to. There, it fits Saudi Arabian um, plans. And I think as Ian discussed at the time in the podcast when the story initially came up, um, the Glazers are interested, their interest in Manchester United is a financial one. Um, if enough 
money was put down on the table as an offer for the club. I would be extremely surprised if they were not to take that offer seriously. Um, and I would also be surprised if, you know, if they considered the, the deal to be valuable enough to them. And we're talking, you know, multiple billions of, of pounds as a, as a, a realistic selling price for Manchester United. I'd be surprised if they weren't prepared to take it if the numbers were high enough wherever the wherever that proposal came from. Some people may be surprised to learn um, or, or to hear, I guess, that um, <clears throat> through multiple discussions over the last two, three years with um, people who are called brokers. And by that, I mean, not necessarily not stockbrokers in the traditional sense, but <clears throat> um, city people uh, who conduct both due diligence and analysis for potential investors in football in England will quite freely tell you that Manchester City is the only Premier League club at this moment in time which is not up for sale. So let's just <clears throat> just not, not disregard, but let's say obviously there are a lot less attractive clubs uh, to buy in the Premier League um, than, than Manchester United. But at the same time, you're looking at very serious finance. I think the club's market capitalisation value is running around a 3.8 billion mark um, over the last week or so. It topped out at just over 4 billion um, about four or five months ago. The Glazers, I think, would realistically sell um, at over four billion, and if anyone's going to be able to go up with that kind of money, well, I think the current prince of Saudi Arabia would, might just be the perfect person uh, to to look to, especially with <clears throat> what Duncan's very comprehensive described the twenty thirty vision uh, for the Emirates in, in going forward. So, yeah, <clears throat> this this could happen at any moment, and and part of the process is non-disclosure agreements, which means that any negotiations, any figures that are discussed in meetings which are private, are marked without prejudice on any documentation, which, along with the non-disclosure agreement, without prejudice means cannot be discussed out with the people who were involved throughout those conversations, and if so, uh, there can be legal recourse. So, um, <clears throat> while... Uh, we in the media love to have a, a bit of, you know, playful banter and a bit of speculation about um, this kind of, you know, obviously major story if Manchester is going to be sold. Um, it's not without a foundation, that's for sure. Uh, but at the same time, getting accurate information is also very, very difficult. Um, and I suspect that if it happens, we'll probably find out about it on the day that it's announced to the Stock Exchange in New York, rather than you know, three months before. So it's certainly one to keep an eye on. And obviously we on the Transfer Window podcast will keep our listeners as up to date uh, on the absolute sort of cutting edge of this, as we always uh, aim to do. So, um, yeah, I agree with Duncan. Um, we need to all just be uh, on the lookout for, for developments on that story. We've got a question from at John Gregg Live. Is player power an issue at Manchester United and Chelsea? Well, it's certainly uh, been an issue at Chelsea. I think we all know that um, through the years. Uh, numerous managers have gone 
as a result of players uh, deciding, um, first of all, that they don't believe in him anymore or don't believe in his system um, or the, his methodology, uh, that then exhibits itself on the pitch and, and performs his tail off in the way that we've seen very recently under Maurizio Sarri uh, in the comprehensive defeats by Bournemouth uh, and um, Manchester United. And <clears throat> excuse me. And then that's when people start to talk. And, you know, what happens is that um, Roman Bramovich's closest advisors who do actually attend the games and do, some of them do speak to, to the players. Um, Bruce Buck, the chairman, uh, Eugene Tenenbaum, uh, one of the directors, uh, Marina Gravsky, who's got obviously based at their um, training ground in Cobham. Speak to players, speak to coaches, etc., etc. That's when it gets serious, is when um, players bitching about the manager uh, is then picked up by the execs, who then feel uh, forced to have a discussion about what's being said, and then are forced to take it to the boss, and obviously he makes the decision. With regards to Manchester United, um, Duncan will know more than me, but clearly there was an issue under Jose Mourinho, and I'm led to believe, Duncan, that there was a kind of... French access to uh, the discontent in terms of Anthony Martial and Paul Pogba being at the centre of the, the dressing room malcontent. Uh, Vive la you... revolution! <laughs> indeed, indeed. <laughs> Duncan, is it, was, it, was it Vive la revolution or, or, or Dive la revolution? <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously player power had an effect at, at Manchester United in that... Um, it turned into a pretty much direct conflict between Paul Pogba and Jose Mourinho over um, how the team should play um, and how he should be allowed to play within the team. And, uh, well, with Mino Raiola on the sidelines offering his client to um, every club around um, and, and threatening Manchester United with taking their, uh, their, their star player away. And I think that's the, that's the core of player power at every club now, um, the the wage bills, um, the individual wages for star players are higher than they've ever been. Um, the marketing power, the uh, commercial influence of individual players is greater than it's ever been. Clubs are, are more aware of that than ever. Um, so unless you have a situation and there aren't, I don't think there are many clubs where, where the players are actually fully under control at present in the Premier League. And I think probably the best example would be Manchester City, where um, the, the power structure is very clear in the sense that Abu Dhabi provide the cash. They delegate almost all responsibility to Ferran Soriano for the running of the club. He delegates the football side to Chiki Bergeristan. He appoints a coach um, who, and uh, in tandem with Soriano, who has more control over the way the club is run than any other um, English football club. Um, he's the, most, the best paid individual in that um, football department. And his authority is pretty much absolute in that if a player is prepared to go up against Guardiola, he will be put down by um, Bergeristan because they believe that the coach and the structure of the team um, retaining 
the right attitude and behaviour of players within the squad. And, and I've, um, I've heard um, Bagiristan talking on record about that, um, the importance of, of how a player talent, I think talent gets you across the doorstep at Manchester City, but behaviour is what keeps you there and behaviour and attitude is what keeps you there. So that they, they have managed to control it by having a very um, distinct structure um, and not leaving it all to the manager to exert authority when required. Uh, Bergiristan, Soriano will step in uh, and, and reassert the, the fact that what Guardiola decides for the football department is key. Um, unless you have that structure uh, and unless you have that um, belief in the manager and the, the priority of the, of the manager's um, power and authority and determination to set the direction of the club, then you are going to get issues as you've had at Manchester United. Um, and I can tell you that... Um, from a member of the coaching staff that it wasn't just, they believe it wasn't just the French players who were uh, uh, involved in, in asking for Mourinho to be dismissed. They, they believe that one of the, the English players called um, Woodward uh, after the Liverpool match and, and asked that uh, the manager be removed. Um, and, and then you have a club like Chelsea where you know the players know from repeat experience how easy it is to get rid of the manager and and, uh, and therefore the, the player power is even more dangerous than anywhere else. So I think it is it's definitely an issue at Chelsea at the moment, but Manchester United it's under control because Solskjaer has um, got the players on his side. He's in still in the honeymoon period. Um, everything's more or less going to plan. He hasn't come into conflict with many of the players yet, so um, it's not a threat to him. But uh, certainly has the, the potential to re-emerge there, um, just as it is, has the potential to emerge at, at most Premier League clubs. Interesting one, Duncan, thinking about what you just said, um, player power getting managers the sack. It could work in reverse at Manchester United. What if the board decided that they want to get another manager, not Solskjaer, and the players rebel against the, the board regarding who they appoint rather than who they sack. It's a good point. Um, I, I think it, it is a factor when we're talking about whether Solskjaer um, continues as Manchester United manager. He clearly has the supporters behind him, the overwhelming majority of the supporters, and, and the players like having him there. So uh, it makes it much easier for the Glazers to, to go down that line. Um, as of course do the results. You know, every time uh, Solskjaer goes to somewhere like Stamford Bridge and takes a, a victory away, um, it becomes easier for the Glaziers to to say uh, he's the man in situ. We like the job he's doing. We're going to give him a long term contract. We're going to move it on to our Donkey Awards. So the Theresa May Award for strong and stable leadership. That is today's donkey. Ian, you're always the man that gives out the nominations. And of course, Mr. Castles decides who receives this award. What's your nominations for today? First of all, can I just say thank you to our listeners for being so um, subtle and intelligent to know that, in fact, the Strong and Stable Leadership Award is, in fact, a sarcastic reference. Uh, just before uh, we start this one. Uh, my first nomination... <laughs> As I well, speak up, for yourself. As I open up the golden envelope, <laughs> is uh, Chelsea's acting uh, CEO and executive director, Mina Grafskaya. <clears throat> um, 
someone who uh, appears to apply um, the chaos theory to uh, managing a football club. Um, but, you know, you, you've got to give her some credit. Invariably, given the trophy count, gets it right. So <clears throat> people have said before that there's no stability at Chelsea, there's no legacy for any manager, et cetera, et cetera. What they have got is a, is a whole uh, load of trophies in the, in the cabinet, every single one that you can win domestically and in Europe. <clears throat> Uh, only one that's missing is the Club World Cup. So, uh, despite the current uh, travise of Maurizio Sarri, who, of course, was uh, Marina's choice in the end, then um, that's the first nomination. The second <clears throat> is Ed Woodward of Manchester United, a man who also seems to apply chaos theory to his management of a football club, but not with so much success, unfortunately, um, with United obviously being on their, I think, fifth manager since Ratz Ferguson retired in 2013, and uh, trophies won in that time, FA Cup by Louis van Gaal, and uh, League Cup and Europa League by Jose Mourinho. Um, maybe sh- shoots of uh, of spring with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, well, still to be realised, but um, you have to see the transfer policy uh, in the last at least three years has been uh, nothing short of shotgun. Uh, so, uh, stable and uh, strong, mm, we'll have to worry about that. The third uh, and final <clears throat> nomination is, and this will come as a surprise to a lot of people, is actually Daniel Levy of Tottenham Hotspur, a man who really barely puts a foot wrong um, when it comes to managing the club. Uh, his club is the most profitable and the least in debt of all Premier League clubs until now, when he's presided over the most expensive stadium build in the history of, of football, um, one which is already at least three times more than the original quote. Uh, it's already um, uh, nine months behind schedule in terms of opening. In fact, that I hear from my newspaper colleagues that they, there's a kind of sweep about the, on the weekly bulletin on the lottery of when that first game will be played at New White Hart Lane. <clears throat> and uh, most of the uh, choices have come next season. So, uh, over to Duncan to award the most prestigious uh, trophy in football. It's a tough one. This I think this is the the, the tightest field since the uh, the David Cameron. Um, it's got absolutely nothing to do with me award when we had to decide between which of Jurgen Klopp's um, many many excuses um, took that particular prize. Um, I think amongst those three um, very uh, deserving candidates. Um, I'm tempted to go for Marina Granovskaya. Um, I am also uh, highly amused by Daniel Levy's um, penny pinching turning into um, hundreds of millions of extra costs on, on White Hart Lane and, uh, and probably a, a whole season's worth of delay by the end of it. But I'm going to go for Ed Woodward, um, chief executive of the richest club in England, uh, inherits... Uh, the post from David Gill and Ferguson um, won the Premier League title at a canter the previous season and uh, since then not even got close to a Premier League title. As you say, five managerial appointments in six years. And uh, can we really see them um, going close to the Premier League title next season um, with Woodward and whoever he and the Glazer family decide to make permanent manager? I'm not sure about that. 
Well, it's time to slam this particular transfer window shut, but fear not, we're going to be back on Friday to fulfil all your podcasting needs. To continue the debate, we are all on Twitter. Uh, you can find us at our own Transfer Window official account, at Transfer Podcast, so give us a follow there. You can find me at Johnny R. McFarlane, and our pundits are at GarboSJ for Ian, and at Duncan Castles. If you like the podcast, and we know thousands of you do, do us a favour, go online and give us a five-star review at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, as this helps us reach as many listeners as possible. Until Friday, thanks for listening.